Welcome to the Daniel McInnes Podcast, a podcast for small businesses who are seeking great practical advice about marketing and sales. Danielle thinks like a customer. Even as a little kid, she always has shown deep empathy for others. Dan uses this customer insight to help small businesses create practical marketing strategies that work. Using this customer-centric approach and her 20 years' experience in sales and marketing, Dan takes what is in your head, adds her expertise to create a system to assist you make better marketing decisions, attracts a regular stream of ideal customers, and creates a brand that your employees and customers will love. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Okay. Well, welcome to my podcast um, again this week. And this week I'm delighted to introduce you to John English. Um, John has written um, a book on how to organise and operate a small business in Australia. And I thought it would be really interesting to have him on the show and, um, and talk to him a little bit about it. So thanks for being part of it, John. Thanks for having me on. So, John, what made you decide to write the book? Well, this book has been in uh, print for over 30 years now in 11 different editions. Uh, when I first began to write the book, it was because there was uh, nothing of any type uh, in publication in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, since then, of course, that's changed and there's quite a bit of material around. Mm. Well, it's, um, uh, you know, I, I think most small businesses start and they don't necessarily pick up a book straight away but the thing that I really liked about your book is it doesn't sort of really matter where you are in you know the life cycle of a small business it's it's um it's a really sort of practical format to sort of plug some holes even if you've been in business for a while that's right it's uh, not like a novel that you pick up and uh, read from beginning to end it's it's really more like a handbook that you dip into when you've got a specific question in your mind and you're looking for an answer yeah. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, this self-evaluation that you do at the end of each chapter also. What was the rationale behind that? Well, I think the main rationale was that it's one thing to read about how to organise and operate a small business, but there's really no substitute for gaining some sort of a genuine experience. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to develop that element inside the book, even though it's still a book. Mm. Uh, So we wanted to provide our readers with a hands-on opportunity to test out a few ideas and to perhaps test out a few skills. So we did things like um, putting in a fairly substantial module on weighing up small business as a career choice. We did another fairly large module on evaluating um, a business opportunity for its commercial uh, potential. Uh, And then we did a few skills things like practicing uh, interpreting market research information. Uh, We've got a module on helping a reader to decide whether or not they'd make a good employer. Mm. And of course, there's the proverbial cash flow budgeting exercise. (laughs) And that's often the one that people don't think about, but I thought that was... Um, really good. Uh, yeah, it was interesting because I think that as a small business, you know, people start small businesses for lots of reasons and I think, you know, before you start, you might actually have in your mindset, well, you know, it's going to give me flexibility, I'm going to be able to work my own hours, but I don't know if you actually think about all of the issues that you sort of addressed in that self-evaluation, so I thought it was really well 
well thought out in terms of, you know, really making you ask the hard questions about, you know, running a small business because, you know, work-life balance is often the reason that people give, but it, I don't know, I'm running my own small business and it's, it's a juggling act. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, running your own business is not uh, unlike... Uh, being employed and working for somebody else in the sense that there's parts of it that uh, you enjoy and there's parts of it that you don't. Uh, and it's really finding a fit that um, gives you the best balance overall. It's, um, it's sad when you see somebody uh, begin to hate their business in the same way that other people hate their job. Yeah. Uh, one um, section I found quite interesting was, you know, when you went through and sort of looked at the I guess the experts that you might bring into your business and and what sort of struck me and I think what a lot of small businesses are trying to work out is, you know, what do I outsource and what do I continue to do myself? Have you got any thoughts around that? Yeah, quite a few actually. Um, first of all, the answer to that question uh, depends an awful lot on the skill set of the owner mm-hmm. and it also depends an awful lot on the degree of uh, complexity in the business they're trying to run. Uh, some business owners have lots of skills to bring to the table and some don't. Some businesses are easier to run than others. Um, I guess my first point is that it doesn't matter what sort of a business it is, um, most small businesses are always short on resources. Mm-hmm. And so they make up for it with hard work and with uh, ingenuity. So you've heard the old saying, I, I would imagine, you know, why buy something for your business if you can get it cheaper secondhand? Mm-hmm. And then why buy it secondhand if you could rent it or lease it? And then why rent it or lease it if you could borrow it? <laughs> and it's that kind of ingenuity that helps some um, small business operators get around their resource constraints. The other issue, of course, is outsourcing. Mm-hmm. And outsourcing is really a good way to uh, enable an owner to focus on the skills that they have while getting access to expertise for the ones that they don't. Uh, For most small businesses, the main reason for outsourcing is because it's cheaper than trying to do something yourself. Yeah. But it's actually a good way to get access to other skills without having to hire people. Yes, because there's a big jump between, you know, running as a solo trader and then that next step up to when you take on staff. That's right. That's a big step. Um, I've always been uh, marveling at a business that I uh, am aware of that has to bid for its work. And they bid for everything in their field. And they never worry about whether or not they might win all the bids at once because they've got a very well-organized system of outsourcing work that uh, would enable them to expand and contract as the work expands and contracts. Yeah, so that's probably a nice little um, you know, setup in terms of flexibility. I wanted to talk to you also about, and I, I come across this a lot with the small businesses I deal with, um, two aspects really. One is focus and, and actually getting them to focus on their business, not in it, and that's a challenge. And the other one is what I call an investment mindset as opposed to you know, perhaps trying to you know, always keep um, with the status quo and not invest in their, in their business and their tools. Have you got any thoughts about those two areas? Well, I think uh, to begin with your question about focus, um, a lot of that depends on an individual. 
there are some people who go into business because they want to be into business. Mm-hmm. And there are other people who go into business because they want to make something or they want to service uh, a certain kind of clientele. And so you've got one group really interested in building a business, another group really interested in doing what they're good at. And um, the former tends to grow a little more and reinvest in the business, and the latter tends to pretty much run a, a one-person band. Mm. Um, and I think there's room for both. Yeah, well, that's actually – they do tend to fall into either of those two camps. It's actually quite true. Um, and you speak a little bit about technology and in, in the book, and um, I just wondered your thoughts on how that's sort of changing the landscape for small businesses. Yeah. Um, the impact of technology in the small business sector is absolutely huge. And the main reason is because the cost – has dropped dramatically compared with the benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not only getting cheaper to buy, but it's getting a lot easier to install and it's getting a lot easier to use. So things like point-of-sale technology and comprehensive um, accounting and information systems, uh, customer relationship systems, and of course the whole thing that goes with the Internet um, really are impacting on how small businesses operate and also what customers expect from them. Mm, Um, I mean, I think uh, your business um, is very much related to a lot of the social networking. So we've got blogs, podcasting, YouTube, MySpace, Mm. Facebook, Twitter. I mean, all of these things are a brand new way in which we can uh, interact with our customers. And those businesses that don't learn how to use them uh, start to... Uh, find that they have lost a very, very good channel uh, with which to to, um, interact with their customers. Well, especially if that's where their customers are. Um. That's right. And a lot of their customers now are living more of their lives online. Mm. And those customers are also out of the reach of uh, a lot of the traditional market gatekeepers. Mm. So the environment really is changing and if small businesses don't embrace it um, their customers are going to want to know why yeah absolutely which which sort of leads me nicely on to sort of marketing and um and i i guess when i was reading through your sections which are really interesting that the thing that really struck me is um there's a real difference between having a marketing strategy and understanding your market and understanding what value you bring to customers and having something that I think most small businesses understand as marketing, which is just, you know, promoting and attracting customers. Do you want to talk about those two things and how you explore that in your book? I guess the, the uh, for me, the main transition um, in marketing in the small business sector has gone from push to pull. And so, uh, you know, we've been uh, pursuing marketing strategies uh, for a long time which are attempting to push products and services out towards uh, a marketplace without really understanding what it is the marketplace wants to pull into their um, homes or uh, consume or whatever uh, Mm -hmm. it might be. Um, You can see it in the conventional uh, advertising and promotion. Um, We used to push out these messages to uh, huge markets hoping to grab the attention of a few potential customers. And I suppose that's going to continue for some time, but it's continually diminishing 
as a really good small business marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all of the um, material that's online now, our customers can choose the websites they want to go to. They can choose what they want to click on. They can choose what information they want to pull onto their screen. And they're going about looking for detailed information about what they really want. Mm-hmm. And so I think it changes the strategy to saying um, when you're in business, I really have to understand those customers. I really have to position my business to capture what it is that they want to buy. And I have to put myself in a place where they can find me. Mm. And I think that's, you know, that, that's a hard thing for small businesses to come to terms with because many of them have taken this push approach or you know, in, in terms of trying to attract customers, it's sort of anyone with a pulse, you know. And I think they're very um, hesitant to sort of stand up and, and say, well, I actually only service these customers. These are the customers that I can actually service best. Because I think in their mind they think, well, if it's, if it's just those, I'm excluding others, and surely that means that I'm, you know, that I'm at more risk. I think um, part of the answer to that question is if you go back and look at the cost of servicing customers uh, compared with what you sell to them, because the ones that you're selling to for whom you are the best uh, supplier, for whom you do the best job, mm-hmm. tend to be the most profitable. And the ones that are sort of uh, marginal are the ones that cost you a lot to market to, mm-hmm. and in some cases don't even produce a profit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there are very many businesses that actually uh, analyze the profitability of their sales at that level. No, no, I think that's probably quite fair. Have you got any other marketing tips that you'd like to share from your book? Well, the biggest one for me is that um, uh, one of the tools of marketing in small business that's always been effective and always been popular is word-of-mouth recommendations. Mm-hmm. And these days, um, you can't talk about word of mouth unless you talk about uh, social networks and uh, the technology of the Internet and the mobile phone. Because word of mouth is now turbocharged by these um, social networks and online media. And while it's still just as important as it used to be, it's important in a different way. And small business operators need to embrace that. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, in the last, I don't know, even three or four weeks, sort of looking at how customers um, review businesses or services using things like, you know, word of mouth online tools and um, forums and even things that that allow them to sort of um, comment in their own sort of Facebook um social media areas or or go on to LinkedIn and the other day someone asked for a recommendation for, you know, a graphic designer, for example. And so I think that that, that's absolutely true. What I'm encouraging small businesses to do is to to actually, um, you know, request that their existing customers, you know, use those sort of online forums to, to leave testimonials. So if, if, if somebody's going to leave your testimonial on your in professional services, maybe they could do it through your LinkedIn profile. Um, and, you know, if you're a, 
end customer for consumer business, then maybe they could leave a comment on your Facebook page just so that that actually is you know, highly visible because you can always repeat that on your website. But, um, yeah, to get them in the forums online, word of mouth, that's, that's definitely, um, well, it definitely, you know, comes up. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's, uh, it's even changed the way that um, people like myself uh, market books now. Uh, I've got a meeting uh, with my publisher next week, and what we're going to do is uh, address the fact that bookstores are going out of business uh, at a rapid rate, that the traditional book is um, becoming diminished as a, as a mechanism for publishing. Mm. And we have to talk about how we're going to publish electronically in the future, and we also have to talk about how we're going to market electronically in the future. And that's really going to get us back to social networks again and user-driven uh, opinion and comment about uh, products that are for sale. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about your book when I was searching and, you know, searching on you and having a look. Um, that What I'm finding is that most people that release a book now almost have a website dedicated to the name of that book in terms of a URL. That's right. And then when you go there, there's normally a snippet. And then it, there's also some links to some of the content that's in the book, even if it's actually a password that's then in the back of the book so that you can get to those special downloads as PDFs and things. And so you're actually, you know, you're actually engaging in a multimedia experience even though you've got a physical hard book, which, you know, I still love because I love to mark and underline, but I still then go and look for those online extra resources and I think you're very right. It's it, you know it's a different experience, and people are looking for those added things to um, you know to just enhance the experience. I mean, for example, me, I always look to see if it's on Audible, which is you know you can download it and, and often hear the person who wrote the book speaking about it because that's a different experience as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it changes the landscape over the next you know coming coming months and years, I guess. Yes, well, even those of us who write about small business uh, have to learn to adapt. <laughs> oh, no, well, it's an ongoing thing. The other thing I was really interested in is that um, that you're obviously a professor at the University of Canberra, and, and, and reading through a little bit about you is that you've um, set up some um, entrepreneur sort of programs. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Uh, yes, um, I'm actually at the University of Tasmania at the Australian Innovation Research Centre okay. uh, these days. Uh, before that, um, I was in Canberra for a few years um, as well. And what I've been specialising in for quite some time is uh, introducing entrepreneurship programs in uh, different universities. So I have introduced them uh, a long time ago at Southern Cross University. I introduced one, uh, Charles Sturt. Uh, I've introduced one at the University of Tasmania and also uh, University of Canberra. Basically, uh, it grew out of what previously were small business programs. Mm. Um, and what we uh, found was that entrepreneurship was more widely applicable in uh, business school environments mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to teach uh, just small business. And they've been very popular. Um, they really are based on models that have been used overseas for decades. Uh, okay. And now they're part of the landscape in business schools here. Well, it's such a fantastic 
um, idea because I just I look I just think it's so fantastic that people can take up the challenge of being an entrepreneur and really build something that you know can provide an income and you know hopefully employ other people and um, and do something that they're really passionate about and to be able to get that leg up in terms of a I think even just in terms of being surrounded by other people that are in that same sort of position is a really great thing to learn off one another and, and get that that skill and that conversation happening. That's right. And the, uh, the programs that we run in entrepreneurship are based on a uh, student-centered learning philosophy where it's not the uh, academics who are uh, supposedly imparting this knowledge. It's um, a university environment setting up uh, a situation where people learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And they spend a lot more time in the business community than they do sitting in the classroom. So in, in one sense, it's a program which is um, quite unlike normal university studies in that it's learning by doing rather than learning by reading about it. Yeah. But we've had some real good success with it, and some of our former students have done some really fantastic things, not just in the strictly commercial sense, but uh, We've also had quite a few graduates who've done some amazing things in social entrepreneurship. Oh, wow. And so we see it as a, as a sort of a philosophy of, of whatever someone wants to do, yeah. uh, where they're trying to create new things and find new ways of, of uh, achieving their goals. Oh, great. And so, John, are you working on anything else at the moment in terms of I am. (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm working on a book that is totally devoted to the financial management of a small business. Oh, great. And um, probably one of life's more tedious topics. But it's, I think, necessary because I, I believe there's a need for something out there that is simple and direct, that doesn't use jargon, that explains how to use professionals rather than feel as though you're sort of uh, um, at their beck and call Mm. Um, so that people can understand the financial impacts of their businesses without having to spend a lot of time on it. Mm. Um, I've over the years found this is the area that causes most of the trouble. Well, there just seems to be a gap when you're in a small business between, um, you know, the analytics or the forecasting or the background of how the mechanics of the business work and your accountant. <laughs> and, yes. and that that gap isn't easy to fill if you're not financially savvy. I mean, you, you can learn a certain amount, but there's definitely a gap between that. And I think the gap's filled on a personal level by having a financial planner. But, you know, that, that they don't necessarily service small businesses. And so, the, yeah, there's, there's a definite need for that. So we'll... Well, I've... I've maintained for um, probably 30 years now that accountants really don't provide a very good uh, service to small business operators. But what they tend to do is fill out the forms for them. Mm-hmm. So they do the compliance work and the tax returns and all that stuff. What I'm suggesting is that um, a small business operator should be looking for an accountant who will actually be prepared to play a part in the business. Mm. and that it's the client who should be suggesting what is needed uh, to the accountant, not the other way around. Yeah, and I suppose your book will help with at least the questions to ask and um, be informed as opposed to, you know, going in there a bit blind. Yes. 
The other problem uh, in the financial uh, side of small business is that uh, government has created uh, almost a nightmare for us in the sense that we have this mountain of paperwork that involves all kinds of uh, compliance issues, mm-hmm. whether it's taxation or it's registrations or it's uh, occupational health and safety and employment. And what I'm trying to do in this book is make it simple. Say mm-hmm. this is the minimum, this is what you've got to do, and this is the easy way of doing it. Great. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, so if people want to find out a little bit more about you, what's the best um, uh, best site or contact details that we can um, provide for them? Um, the best one is probably the email address. Okay. Well, which uh, is yeah. jack.english mm-hmm. at u-t-a-s mm-hmm. dot e-d-u. Mm-hmm. .au. Great. And I'll put a link to um, the book on um, the podcast notes so that people can um, download it. And I, I really found it an enjoyable read and you've got lots of resources and tips in there. And as you said, it's something that you can pick up when you're focusing on an area and, and um, you know, get the information that you need to, to move forward. So I really appreciate your time um, this morning. Thank you so much, John. Thank you too. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time. Thank you.